0: Streaming live around the world, this is Paper Cuts. Why don't we start our own show? With Brad Proctor. I forgot to break up my fancy straw. You sound insane. Do you realize that? And Jay Battings. We're called Paper Cuts? Who came up with that name? We need like some name tags with our picture on it all laminated and whatnot. I mean, we got to look legit, man. We are live. Wait, wait and finished Yes. okay All good right. Did you good. finish the yeah. book good good timing I, I finished, <laughs> yeah you know it's always good to prepare when you have the guest <laughs> of the book you're reading on yeah you, know, you have to prepare <laughs> for it what's going on guys jay maddox here thanks for joining us for another episode of paper cuts with me over i gotta point it the right way no, here it's always it's always backwards exactly the brains behind the operation no it's I don't Brad know about proctor that. what's going on guys <laughs> what's up so uh yeah tonight's guest Maybe one of the hardest working writers around today, Brad. I, I actually I first so. read his, his his I first time I read some of his stuff, a, a couple of short stories. Where are they? I have anthologies. <laughs> <laughs> Doorbells at Dusk. Found one of his stories in that. I got that about a year ago. Here's another one. In Darkness to Light. Another short story. Another anthology. That I got about a year ago. But uh yeah, I just finished uh Blackheart Boys Choir, which yeah. Blew my mind. It's a good one. A good one. Uh, those who go forth into the hands of gods. Yeah, that's a I mean, good one, too. The devoured. Hey, wait, let me make sure I get enough bads in this. It's It's a bad, yeah. bad, bad, bad world. You got it. Uh, <laughs> Devil's Night, which I'm really excited to check that one out. And, guys, on top of these, he dabbles in comics, graphic novels, poetry, and... He's the host of his own podcast, mm-hmm. Weird Transmissions. Yeah. Let's give it up for Curtis M. Lawson, everyone. Thank Congress. you guys for having me. This <laughs> thanks is for awesome, coming on, man. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for agreeing to partake <laughs> in our shenanigans. You know. My pleasure. Yeah. So thank, thank you
1: for that kind introduction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do what I can. Right. So, so we want to get into your books. We want to get into your writing. We want to get into your comics, your, your podcast, all that stuff, but, I want to say congratulations on your little uh, fitness journey you're doing. I've Thank been kind of, I've been kind of following you on Instagram, stalking you on Instagram a little bit, looking <laughs> <and, and seeing laughs> some of the updates, watching the transformation and everything. Looks like a lot of hard work and is paying off. So, congratulations on your little fitness journey. There's it's, it's inspiration.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah it's, it's been good.
0: What What was the uh, whole uh, mindset behind that? Did you just get up one day and say, oh, you know what? Man. I'm going to be uh, competing with Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and we're, we're going to go for it. No, so my, everything in my life is
1: motivated by existential dread. And um, <laughs> so I would be, I'd wake up, you know, I, I was kind of heavy. I, um, I wasn't like super heavy, but I was overweight and um, I was diagnosed with like fatty liver disease years back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and I would just wake up at like two or three in the morning, like, every other night and i'd be like i'm gonna die if i don't do something i'm yeah. like i need to fix this um and i'll be like oh my god i drank two liters of mountain dew today i'm gonna fucking kill myself <laughs> um
0: that's my so, kryptonite, night mountain dew
1: <laughs> yeah now, oh man i love it I, I try not to touch it anymore but i um, you know one day i just i was looking at my son and i was like you know i want to meet my grandkids i want to be around i want to like be strong and healthy for my family mm. i need to like get my ass in gear so i just i did it and um I think the big thing for me was I was, I was reading, um, I don't know if it was from this book, but I was reading bigger, leaner, stronger by Mike Matthews. And but that, that helped me a lot, but it, it got this mindset into my mind that like, this is something that this is like sleeping, and eating. This is something that I have to do every day, right. you know, before everything else. Um, and approaching it like that, made it stick for me for whatever reason i'd never really been able i'd before i'd you know i'd eat right for like a week i'd go to the gym for like a week you know right i think a lot of people Uh, do that the new year's resolution thing exactly (laughs) so once i kind of changed my mindset about how you know where factored into my life that that really helped and um yeah i've been going for like about two years now at it um you know a little bit up and down but i've been
0: sticking with it it's good and, and, and that that's the key I, mean, I i know it's been told to me before that it's a marathon not a sprint but you know there are people who would do it for like two weeks and not see anything change and kind of yeah. give up you know well, i think and,
1: that's i think that's why it never stuck when i was younger when yeah. i was younger i was been like it's two weeks why don't you know why aren't where's my abs like you know <laughs> exactly um, yeah but for this time i was doing it for health not for like vanity so i think that's mm-hmm. the big difference it it was this long-term thing to for my health for my family um and i wasn't just trying to look good and i think if you're doing it for for vanity's sake um if you see immediate results it can that could be a motivator but like yeah. if not it's really easy to get discouraged if it's like oh I've been at this for two months and I don't look any better. Like,
0: and I, I think yeah. a lot of people start off with it being for vanity. And yeah. Sometimes it takes that wake up call to really kick in the, the, the health part of it. Uh, so yeah, not to turn this into like a fitness, <laughs> <laughs> fitness <hour. laughs> but yeah. Take
2: did away, you have Brad. any, did you have any uh, issues with it at all during COVID being locked down? Did that affect you at all or? You still be um, okay with it?
1: I mean, it it affected me. Like, um, not fitness-wise. I mean, what with the gym wasn't open. I just worked out at home, and I have weights and yeah. stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, COVID was weird for me though, because my wife was working from home. And up until then, for the past couple years before COVID, um, we kind of switched. I used to work like sixty hours a week, and she stayed home with our son and stuff, and he's in like a virtual school and such. So, um, mm-hmm. she had the opportunity to for a job that was pretty good. And um, so we flip flopped and I stayed home and wrote and you know, took care of our son. She went back to work and probably like two or three years like that, where I was only working about 12 hours a week at a day job. And the rest of it was really focused on writing and taking care of my kid. But COVID kind of reversed that again, because she was working from home and my job needed help because they were like, um, you know, they were seen as an essential service and Nobody mm-hmm. wanted to work, so right. I had the opportunity to pick up a lot of hours. So financially, it was fantastic, but it, it kind of got in the way of writing, you know?
2: Yeah. So, so. did your writing take a big hit during, during Yeah. pandemic
1: and stuff? Um, You know, I still got stuff accomplished, but not to the rate I was doing before. I, Pre-COVID, for the couple of years before that, I was writing for like three hours a day, Monday through Friday, um, which... Mm-hmm you know, cause I figured if I wasn't, I, if I had the opportunity to write that much and I wasn't taking advantage of it, I was a jerk. Cause there's so That's many people who would kill for right? that, you know? Yeah. Um, so if I did anything, if I played a video game or anything, I, I was racked with guilt. You know? <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still producing stuff, but not nearly at the rate that I was, but things, our situation is probably going back to normal next month and I'm going to be getting kind of diving hard back into writing.
0: Did you write any, any sort of uh, COVID stories?
1: No, um, <laughs> I figured I there's going to be a, a lot, lot of that.
0: that. Yeah, I always ask people. I always ask people that because I I'm I waiting for someone to say yes. Just wait for it. It's coming out <laughs> in two years when we're still doing this. So yeah,
1: right. <laughs> no, I uh, I, mean, I figured nobody wants to read about what they're living through. You know?
2: Exactly. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a bunch of them come out, and then no yeah. one wants to read them right now.
0: I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like read them now or forget about them later. So. <laughs> So I was so checking out you, your website earlier uh, today. You you have a lot of stuff going on on your website. You have your uh, like Twitter attached to it. You have a blog to it. So I mean, it looks like social media is somewhat of a, a big part of you as far as your life goes, as far as promoting your work. How do you feel about having to use social me- social media to, you know, promote your work right now?
1: Um, for the most part, I like it. I I go through these things where I, where I'm like, <laughs> I'm never doing. I'm deleting my Twitter account. I'm getting <laughs> um. But I I think that it's just a matter of how you approach it and not letting it control you. You have to use it in a way that that benefits you and that works with your sanity. Um and I just I've I've stopped following a lot of people. I've um you know muted a lot of especially on Twitter because you can mute specific keywords on Twitter. Yeah. So anything that's gonna like that's probably healthy
0: too, by the way.
1: Yeah. Um (laughs) You know i'm just trying not to get all the all the stuff that's going to upset me and then i also whenever i post something i always because i'm mainly there to socially connect with creative people in mm-hmm. horror lovers and right. to promote my work so i always now a days i always say is this going to be beneficial for me to post is this going to help my career or be you know Beneficial for someone to read, and if it's just going to piss people off because I want to vent, <laughs> then I don't post it. I'll type it yeah. out and then I'll delete it. You know, wow. <laughs> <laughs> type it out, screenshot it, you save it yeah, for later.
2: And exactly, you which <laughs> I, that, I didn't always later. do. I yeah. used to.
1: I used to post that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: Twitter's um, like a double-edged sword. Like it can be great, and then it just assess pit on the other side of it. Yeah, so it absolutely. really depends on. do you ever feel awkward like promoting your own stuff? Because we talk to other authors who are like eh, I don't like to talk about myself it feels weird awkward do you have any of that or no. you okay with it yeah <laughs> just throw it out there
1: um no i like talking about myself i like hearing my own voice <laughs> um that's why, that's why you have a podcast <laughs> that's why i have a podcast there you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm an attention hog you know i used to play in bands i i, I like people you know paying attention to me <laughs> so um and you know, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big believer in, uh, like, DIY kind of entrepreneurism. That's not a real word. I think I've butchered <laughs> that. But you know what I mean? And um, I think when people are out, if they're, they're promoting their work in, uh, in a reasonable way, I think it's great. Yeah. You know, it's fantastic. Um, it's when people are kind of uh, obnoxious about it that it becomes a problem and hopefully i'm not obnoxious about it but you know when people are dming everybody on their twitter like my mm. book's out, my book's out or you know yeah. oh, my Kickstarter's is up um but there's
2: so, definitely a right
0: way and a wrong way to do right. it yeah i mean yeah. I, I haven't seen you cram it down anybody's throat yet i it, try that not ha- to. that happens sometimes <laughs> that's when you kind of get turned away from it so and it did like me and brad we'll talk about you know all of a sudden we'll get a dm hey read my book and review it yeah is there like a, a please in there somewhere or, or you know <laughs> like someone
2: you've never even heard of before yeah, yeah. like hi it's, do i know you <laughs> it's different yeah, you, if you have that prior relationship with an author or a publisher or something right and then they ask you but just some random person out of the blue is like
1: okay yeah exactly and you know i i've seen people i actually saw uh like cameron cheney posted a screenshot of someone complaining about him not reading the books that you know he got sent or something I like th- that i think yeah, I, saw I saw that too, saw yeah. That too yeah um and it, it kills me because like, you know, like if I can send somebody a book, whether, whether it's a physical book or an ebook or whatever, um, you know, if they're willing to maybe take a look it, i them, I'm thankful for that. And I, I never expected them to, you know, to get to it. Like you, they, they're going to read what they want to read, what they, with, you know, what they feel um, excited to or drawn or drawn to. And mm-hmm. um, they're on, even it doesn't matter if I send them, you know, like a $200 book or something like that, they have no, uh, you know, there's no, I guess, a uh, commitment I'm expecting right. for them to read it. It's just, yeah. you know, I'm happy that they, they agreed to a maybe and, and you can't hassle people either. You know, if they get to it, they get to it. And there's so many books out there. there there's so much content.
0: Not enough time. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly.
1: Anybody who who actually does take the time to read my stuff, you know, I'm very thankful and you know, humbled by the fact that with with all these entertainment options that they'd spend, you know, however many hours with me. Um, but I never ever expect it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's like that existential dread you're talking about, like there's so many books and I'm never gonna get to them all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a I think a, a common thing with reviewers and stuff, like Yeah, I've got all these books and I will never get to them all before yeah. I die. Just yeah, t-
0: <laughs> TBR's my TBR is a lifetime. It's a lifetime yeah. TBR, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So speaking and, of your books, explain to us what you mean about being unapologetically <laughs> weird. It, I, <laughs> I, I worked all day trying to rehearse that word; still, probably butchered it. <laughs>
1: um, unapologetically weird. Yeah, I just wanted something kind of—I uh, don't know—that sounded kind of clever on there. And I, I didn't really know how to, I guess you know, how to phrase my stuff, I, especially the books like Bad World and um, Those Who Go Forth into the Empty Place of Gods. Um, you know, they don't necessarily fall into the realm of like weird fiction per se, but they're weird books. Um, yeah. And that just kind of, I felt like it summed up what I do, um, especially in those those books that are a little bit cross genre. Um, I just write weird shit. I don't know. Um, and, <laughs> and I think that some people... I guess the unapologetic part is really there's some people, especially when you're getting into some like philosophical ideas, which I try to do. Um, if you try to do anything kind of deep, there's almost this genre guilt that comes with some authors and it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not horror. When I do it, it's not fantasy. When I do it, um, you know, um, and I just really embrace that sort of thing, especially like I draw from comics. I draw from TV. I draw from Mm -hmm. literature. I draw from history and philosophy. Um, and I'm not ashamed of any of my influences, you know, um, yeah. whether it's X Men or Plato, right. you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: And that's a that's a big range too, from X Men to Plato. Yeah. Where all things from too,
0: it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, when I, first, when I first saw that, I just figured he doesn't give a shit if we like it or not. He's doing <laughs> what he wants to do. Well, that's it too. With-
1: <laughs> you know that that's a big thing. You know, people ask me sometimes, um, you know, other authors about, you know how you should decide what books to write. And right. I, I was on some podcast you know, a couple of years ago and he's like, Oh, what kind of market research do you do before you decide to write a book? And I'm like, market research. Um,
3: <laughs> I didn't know you that.
1: <laughs> Look at your yeah, out. What, what people want to read and stuff. Well, there's actually this software. I, I have it for Amazon ads because you can use it for picking out keywords when you run Amazon ads, yeah. but it's uh-huh. um, really meant to you, basically you type in like a subgenre or whatever, like, you know, like, nurse romances or something like that. And it tells you how many <laughs> dollars a month of that like keyword is sold on Amazon well, that's and how many books are that are sold. And you can get like, you can dig real deep down and some people use a software to decide what books they're going to write. Cause they're trying to write to market and they're trying to, to write for money. Right, um, yeah. But I always tell people that the chances of making any money in this game are so slim. It's really hard to make a living um, almost impossible to make a living, but like even making like, like decent side money is really hard. And mm-hmm. like, you, you're probably not going to do it without like years and years of work at least. So at least write something that you love, you know, cause you, even if nobody reads it, you'll have that. And if you compromise and you write something just cause you think it's going to sell, you know, and nobody buys it anyway, then you have nothing.
2: That, yeah. That's going to be a, just a big hit to your ego too. Like if you're writing for a certain demographic and then no one checks it out, that's probably going to make you not want to write anything ever again.
1: Exactly. So I'd rather have a book that I love that, you know, maybe two other people like than, <laughs> um, than try to to write something that's going to be a big hit. And I hate it. You know, my wife, There's... I think, hates that about me.
2: But... love <laughs> <laughs> no, your... Your wife? Do do you let her read your stuff like before you put it out there? Does she read she, it
1: for you? Or? She used to. My wife's like a grammar Nazi, so she's really good at at uh, copy editing. Um, mm-hmm. She hasn't really done it for me in the last couple of years since she went back to work, and she doesn't like a lot of my stuff. <laughs> it's just not her kind of thing. Um, yeah. like Boys' choir. She got like two pages in the boys' choir. She's like, I hate this guy. I can't read this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> but,
3: got, uh, I got a
0: very. I got a very. Um, American Psycho meets. Uh, uh a Clockwork Orange combination in that book for some reason. Just those oh, two together. <laughs>
1: those were big influences. Um yeah. when I was writing it, I kind of um when I was trying to figure out how I wanted to tell the story, I actually reverse engineered a Clockwork Orange, American Psycho, Fight Club, all these books that mm-hmm. had these I was trying to create uh like a protagonist who was a villain in was unlikable but still had a level of charm to him, right? So that's yeah. why I was thinking, you know, Alex DeLars, Patrick Bateman, Tyler Durden. Um, so the, yeah, there's definitely a, a big influence of those books on on Boys Choir.
2: Yeah, Lucien's definitely a character like at some points you just hate his gut, and then other points you feel sorry and sympathetic for him because right. of what he's gone through. But it then is, just, a, it a doesn't want kind of a layer character
0: like that, like that. Yeah. so
1: yeah. yeah. And I was trying to figure out what about writing somebody that you know that's that bad really how you kind of tug at people how you make them feel sympathetic um Mm -hmm. and i did a lot of studying on how people did that in other books and such so
0: so your wife didn't like that one huh
1: (laughs) no she didn't like (laughs) that one um no i do want to talk about
2: block art boys choir what that's such a weird combination because i don't think i've ever read anything horror wise that involves classical music you know there's like heavy metal stuff like um Heart-shaped box and Final Reconciliation stuff. Nothing I can think of that involves classical music. What was your inspiration to pull classical music into it?
1: Um, well, I mean, there, I, I like classical music. And out the main reason why I did classical music in it, because um, I initially was thinking about metal because I, I come from a metal background. You know, I grew up mm-hmm. as like a black metal kid and I played in black metal bands and punk bands and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But while I was researching Clockwork Orange, one of the reasons why it was written with all the strange slang is because Anthony Burgess said, you know, in 10 years, if this, people are still reading this book and Alex is like me and my groovy droogs, you know, like (laughs) if he's using all this like 1960s slang, it's going to feel dated. It's going to, it's just not going to jive anymore. You know, people are going to think it's goofy. So he made up this kind of slang in this, um, this fake counterculture so that it would be timeless. And I figured if I made these kids like black metal kids or something like that, um, like metals already old man music at this point. you know, like <laughs> no young people listen to it. Um, so I figured it, it it's just gonna feel dated. it's it's gonna get lost in the dustbin um, fairly quickly if I did that. So I said, what's timeless? Classical music's timeless. And yeah. then I started thinking about,, um, you know, in black metal in particular, the the black metal culture has this sense of kind of inflated, Artificial elitism and like artificial bravado, and you know everybody's got to be like unholier than thou, and you know it's <laughs> like I'm more cult than this guy, and blah, blah, blah. and uh, you have to look a certain way, you have to act a certain way, um, and like you know like the the look is very important. So I was I wanted to take these um, metal is old man music man that hurts <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does you're telling me um so I wanted to take those elements and put them into kind of a an artificial or i guess a a made-up subculture so i said let's make classical music into a subculture kind of a a counterculture Mm -hmm. and um that was the real inspiration for it but also there there are a few horror stories that that i really love that incorporate classical music Uh, the music of eric zahn is is a uh an example by hp lovecraft and um for some reason i don't know I don't think there's any real musical references in any of the King and Yellow stories, but people like to incorporate the King and Yellow in music for some reason too right. a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the the real reason for the classical music though. And I, I thought it ended up working well with creating the aesthetic for Lucian with the suits. And, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, it felt like it, it meshed together very organically. And I was able to have, the, the, probably the, the most rewarding part of writing that, but not the most, but one of the most was the deep dive in the classical music. Cause I'd been kind of a, I guess yeah, a it, casual deep, fan. it was
0: like a, like, like a little history lesson for me at times. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'd
1: been a casual fan before that, but I went real deep and found all these composers I had never heard and all this history I'd never heard. And these guys were crazier than like any modern rock stars, <laughs> the, the stuff they did. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, I, I discovered all this wonderful music. It was, it was really fantastic. And then, luckily, um, when St. Joshi, actually, he did the copy edits aside from the um, the introduction. And he's, you know, he writes qu- choral music and he's in a choir and he's very into classical music. So he was able to kind of um, look for any flaws I had in the classical music stuff. And oh, he didn't cool, find cool. any, yeah. which so was you very cool. had an expert cool.
0: do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was very rewarding, that aspect of the book.
2: It was cool. It was refreshing to, because I, like I said, I'd never read anything like that. And it was very refreshing to read something different than incorporating some other kind of music that other people have done before. It was cool.
1: Thank you. And
2: I'll have to ask
0: uh, Go ahead. I'm going to
2: interrupt you. The the unicorn and the name of it is that something that's real from folklore, mythology, or do you make all that
3: up?
1: No, it's from uh, like Goetic Goetic tradition, which is kind of like uh, the the lesser key of. Solomon. Um mm-hmm. basically they're demons that um, can be summoned in uh kind of ancient uh Jewish tradition. Um it goes back to like King Solomon and all this sort of stuff. And there's this uh book of all these demons and their names and what they do and um okay. Amdusius in that that tradition is the um, the conductor of hell. So he he's okay. like this musical demon. And, um, say the name one more time. Amdusius. Okay. Because we were just talking off we're, here too. So about we are
0: like, Abducia. I, no, no, no. I was close. I don't know how to I say was, it. <laughs> yeah. I might I be saying clear. it wrong.
1: I just okay. read it. So. <laughs> I just copied it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that, that comes from, that comes from actual goetic tradition. And I tried to be very thorough in my research with that too, as far as, um, um, mm-hmm you know the number is 67 shows up a lot in the book that's he's the 67th duke of hell and blah, blah blah um so i tried to incorporate a lot of that stuff and then there there were subtle things that go with the the demonology of that i guess that i tried to incorporate that people won't notice um but i kind of did it for me even uh-huh. the, with the musical elements with that book i did things um which probably no one will ever notice but there's Uh, like a meter in such to the chapters. um, It's at one point, it's every, the one chapter will be about, um, you know, with Lucy and with uh, the, the counselor. And then the next will be about, um you know some adult failing him and then the next will be him falling deeper into this thing and such it was supposed to be this kind of waltz timing this one two three, one two three, um and you know stuff that no one was ever going to pick up on um (laughs) yeah and then there's a lot of repeated phrases i i would like lift whole like you know sentences or a couple sentences and put them repeat them throughout the book to be kind of the way you repeat phrases and music and things like that.
2: So that's cool. You went into that level of detail with it. Yeah. I got even obsessed though, with- for, <laughs> for something that people may not even notice, like you said. So that's cool. Yeah. Dedication. Um, <laughs>
1: I, it was obsession. I was, I was so like, I fell into that book so hard when I wrote it. I felt like Lucy with like, with the piece yeah. of the music. Um It was just like my life for like a year. So. <laughs>
0: You mentioned uh, Lovecraft er- earlier, and you mentioned uh, King Yellow Chambers. Are those influences you have? Are have you ever always leaned towards the the weird side and the cos the uh, cosmic side? Or... Um,
1: yeah, well, definitely supernatural horror in general. You know, I was always um, when I was a kid, I was a Freddy Krueger guy. You know, right. I, I liked like yeah. the dream demon aspect, and um, I yeah, I've always liked supernatural horror, and then. I kind of fell through Lovecraft into Lovecraft through a back door. I fell into Lovecraft through this band, Morbid Angel. Um, and I had actually read something called the Simon Necronomicon, which is like this fraudulent occult book, um, which is supposed <laughs> to be the real Necronomicon, but it was made by some guy in New York in like the seventies. <laughs> and, um, That's kind of how I fell into Lovecraft and when I first read Lovecraft, it was I don't know I was a teenager and it was a little bit too worried for me I liked the concept but I just I couldn't really get into it and then I went back a few years later And I just fell in love so Lovecraft's been, been a big influence on me for a long time. And uh, The King in Yellow, I think, is one of the most fascinating mythoses out there. And um, actually, I have this right here. I had recently had a story in Under Twin Suns, nice. yeah. <laughs> um, which is a King in Yellow anthology. Um, and uh, it was it was so incredibly cool to be able to write a King in Yellow story for that. Yeah. Um, you know, when I got the invite, to it, I like instantly said yes. And uh <laughs> and my story is right next to I believe it's right before Joe Pulver's posthumous story there and uh, joseph Pulver was like the king and yellow guy like in the modern era. So it was very um it was very cool to be right next to him in that book. Um a big honor. And yeah, I think the the whole idea of Carcosa and all that is is very intriguing. Um and obviously it you got know, kind of a big push because of True Detective and such. Uh, yeah, right. So it's cool. Right. That it's... I was
0: going to say, it just it pops up without you realizing it, uh, you know, uh-huh. True Detective. Um, Joanna Koch had or Severed Hands. I don't know if you checked that out, but that was all yep. King and Yellow and related to all of that stuff. I know a lot of people uh, look at Chambers and look at Lovecraft as influences. And then there are people who like the work from the people that, who are influenced by them better. So it's like different levels
1: yeah different yeah. level you know i I, I, <laughs> I don't like a lot of lovecraft pastiche i like yeah. some of it i'm not gonna say that i don't like any of it but i'm very particular about it and um i think that there's room for all of it i think there's room for the silly shit that you know where to you know people just want to play with the the myths and the monsters right. and do whatever um but to me what i really love about lovecraft is that sense of like cosmic dread and nihilism and like, like, Oh crap. We live in an uncaring, maybe antagonistic universe. Um, mm-hmm. And the same with like chambers, the, the sense of, of something out there that's, it's so beyond us. That's what really draws me to cosmic right. horror and to those guys. Um, so I'm not really is into stuff where it's just like, let's put tentacles on something, uh, you know, the window <laughs> dressing cool, but it's, that's not really my thing.
2: Yeah. yeah. So you kind of do that in uh not the tentacles, but the you know, things out there. Those who go forth <laughs> into the, in the place of gods is Yeah, you know, this is like an action movie mixed with cosmic horror <laughs> that I really dug. How did you get uh hooked up with Doug Rinaldi and co write this?
1: So Doug Rinaldi and I first met in like the year 2000 or 2001 at something called the More Force Fest, which was a metal show in a school gymnasium. And uh, my band was playing our first show and his band was playing, uh, it was called Bane of Existence he was in. And they were kind of a big death metal band around here um, at the time. And we played a bunch of shows together and then we just, you know, drifted apart. We both kind of... got out of playing in bands and we hadn't talked to each other in years. And then on Facebook, there's a group called New England Horror Writers. And mm-hmm. I posted a picture of me like on stage back in my metal days or whatever in there. And he's like, whoa, are you like, are you that Curtis? And I was like, yeah. And then we realized who each that other was. That Curtis? Were,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your your <laughs> reputation was there with you. so <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so we, uh, we started talking again and he posted something on Facebook saying that, he um he had a couple story ideas that he didn't know where to go with and he was looking for a co-writer so i messaged him and he pitched a couple ideas at me and uh you know one was for this um this game show guy who unintentionally spills the beans on some big cosmic secret and i was like that sounds fantastic (laughs) um so that's how we ended up doing that together and it it was a really fun collaborative process you know I kind of worked on fleshing out where Doug got stuck and pitched some ideas at him. He kind of tweaked him and pitched them back at me. And then I wrote up a suggested seamless. I just broke it down. I plan everything out. Anyways, I'm really nerdy about it. I have like color coded index cards and shit, you know, <laughs> um, with different character arcs and stuff. So I broke it down into scenes and I said, well, what do you think about this for the scenes? And then we just picked out which scenes we wanted to write. And then, um, <laughs> then once we wrote them, we kind of smoothed out the rough edges and uh, yeah, I think it came out pretty good, but it's it's pretty wild. It's probably my most divisive book that I've put out Um, Mm -hmm. has more one stars than anything I've ever done, but it's um, (laughs) I think it's because people aren't, I guess the biggest complaint I get about my work is not is unlikable characters between uh those who go forth in Boys Choir.
3: Because yeah. you know,
1: it's hard to like Brewster Gilligan, it's hard to like Lucine yeah. Beaumont. So if you need a character that you really need to like, you know, I might not be the guy for you. <laughs> but um Well I'm gonna
0: read the, it now just for that. I have I have the ebooks so I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out just for if that. you That's like good.
1: House, if you like Gregory House, I might be your your type of horror writer, you know. <laughs> there you go. But um and the other thing about it, I think some people weren't expecting the comedy of it. Um, it is it, kind of funny at times. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're expecting like a more like, like full on serious cosmic horror book, it's going to, it's going to kind of throw you a little bit. Mm-hmm. But how do you feel something?
0: about those uh, one-star reviews? Oh, I mean, it's fine. You- I
1: mean, I, I, I have, most of them are just one star ratings and it's fun, like you know they don't they don't like it I I can guess why they don't like it and that's fine. There was one that um no that was really mean and um it uh <laughs> said you know it had like the the plotting of a uh, of a uh, of 13-year-old fellmights trying to write a video game or something like that, you know. <laughs> um and it was like all boss battles but didn't even show all the boss battles or something like that, you know. Um Yeah. Which is fine. Like I said, you know, it's, it's not a book for everyone. And um, I never get upset about, about one star reviews, as long as they're the person really felt that way. If it was somebody who just didn't like me and was leaving it to screw with me, yeah, I'd be pissed off. But um, yeah, you know, what I write isn't for everybody. And that that's totally fine. Nobody writes something for everyone. So. Right.
2: Is this the only collaboration that you've written with anybody?
1: Yes, that's the only collaboration I've written with anyone to this point. Uh, Doug and I are supposed to do something else at some point when my schedule nice. clears up a little bit. And um, other than that, I've done, I've wrote one story for a shared world book, but I can't really talk about that yet. But hopefully that'll come out that's next a year. Yeah. Who do you
0: want to write with? Because they might be listening. Go ahead. And oh, well, man. Well, you know, I actually... <laughs>
1: I, I just approached, um, Jeffrey Thomas and asked him, but he, uh, he's got too big of a schedule right now. Um, so, I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of people I'd love to write with. I'm pretty open, but, um, like I said, Jeffrey Thomas is there. Uh, I don't know how if John Langan ever collaborates with anybody. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to write a book with John. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much open. You know, I, anybody who, um, writes kind of weird stuff and i think i'd mesh with I'd, I'd be happy to work on something with if i had the time so
2: if you were to like approach another writer would you approach them with like the idea for it or you say hey let's write a book together and come up with it together
1: i guess it depends on on the person and what was going on like when i approached jeffrey the other day i um i had kind of an idea of what i wanted to do um mm-hmm. and i said hey you know you did a book that had this kind of format and i kind of like to do that um and I had a, more of an idea in my head, but uh, you know, I wanted to test the waters before throwing everything at him all at once. Oh, yeah uh, So I guess you know, if I was going to approach someone, I, I'd probably have it a little bit more fleshed out just because I like to I like to have all my ducks in a row because I don't right. want to mm-hmm. waste somebody's time and be like, "Hey, want to do something? Yeah, what do you want to do? I don't know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, sounds,
2: I mean, like definitely, it. Yeah. So de- sounds like you're a plotter and not a pantser then you, oh, oh you're very much and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm very much a plotter. You know, even with short stories, I'll, I'll sit down. I'm like, no, I won't go crazy, but I, uh, you know, I try to, you know, write down the, uh, just the the basic bullet points of the story and get myself from from point A to Z. Because if I don't, you know, I, I when I first started writing, man, I didn't do that, and I just write these like weird slice of life vignettes that went nowhere. It was just like people monologuing in like description, uh-huh. like really intricate descriptions of the background. <laughs> So when so you, you are
2: pl- plotting your book out, do you ever start at the end? Like, oh, this will be an awesome ending and then work your way backwards. Or do you always kind of start with the beginning or a character idea or?
1: Um, yeah, it depends on the book. I mean, with, with boys choir, that, that all started from the name. I, I at one point wanted to start a band called Blackheart Boys Choir, but I figured I was too old to be in any band that's had <laughs> boys in the name, um, but <laughs> the name stuck with me forever. And I'm like, I'm just going to write a book called Blackheart Boys Choir. And then I I got the idea of doing it about, you know, like mass violence and obviously Blackheart Boys Choir starts at the end. So, you know, that was kind of Mm -hmm. started with, with the end in mind. Um, And yeah, it all depends on, it all depends on the project. Sometimes it's, a philosophical idea i want to explore sometimes it's a character like bad world man bad world is the second book i wrote I, I didn't know how to write books yet really i'd written one novel before that and um and i kind of copied that formula from someone else not not the content but i was like oh this guy did these alternating chapters and blah, blah, blah. So I use that as kind of a roadmap, which is why I think I was able to write a book in the first place. (laughs) Um, And then with Bad World, I was like, oh, nobody's gonna ever read this. Nobody's gonna like care about this like ridiculous story. So I just wrote down a bunch of scenes that I thought would be cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna have like a nun fight, a mercenary at a church and I'm gonna (laughs) do like. So I just wrote all these scenes down on cards and then I like wrote it all out of order. I wrote the stuff that I thought would be the most fun to write. And then I kind of just sewed it all together into a, into a story. Um, so yeah, the process works different depending on the project.
0: So what should somebody start with to get a good idea of your style for your collection?
1: Um, you know, I feel like I have two different kind of styles that are, that are a little bit stark. If you wanted to get a taste of both, those who go forth is a good place because it kind of merges that, that cosmic grim, um, you know, kind of existential dread thing that I do. Right. But um it also has the comedy aspect in like the mm-hmm. kind of absurdist aspect. So it, that's kind of a mix, but if you, you want one or the other, it's a bad, 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 bad world is a, um, four bads, right? The four, four beds. Yeah. <laughs> four <bads>. It's, <laughs> the, it's taken from the, the, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Um, right. which okay. the old I other. picked that.
0: I picked up on that. But, yeah. 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 So, um, if you
1: want something that's just totally absurdist and action packed and full of violence and fun and, stupid jokes then then that's the way to go um, if you want something more comic book yeah yes that really mm-hmm. embraces my my love of uh comics and pulp film and stuff like that if you want something si- grim and serious and such like that um then boys choir i think is the way to go i think boys choir is the best thing i've written but it's also the most personal book i've ever written so it's it's hard to say um, some people like devil's night uh, did very well for me people a lot of people love devil's night People said it's the best thing I've ever written, and that's also in kind of the more grim, uh, serious sort of way. There's not a lot of of comedy or anything in there. Um, It's not quite as cosmic as the other stuff, but it's still supernatural horror for the most part.
0: I mean, there's so much of your stuff out there. Do you keep track of everything that you have released? Do you even know how many items you have released right now? I mean, if I sat down and think about it, I can, you know. how many uh, work in progress and, and progresses do you have right now? Well,
1: so I have a lot of to be written. I, you know, instead of a TBR, I have like a TBW. Um, but I try to keep to one project at a time for the most part, because otherwise I never finish anything. Um, yeah. So right now I really have um, I have too much going on right now. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> on Patreon I have a serial going on called um, Couch Surfing Through the Twelve Chambers of Hell. And that's a kind of it's about an aging rock star who's lost his family. And he goes on this kind of road trip to basically to find a reason not to kill himself and um, goes on a road trip down Route 50, the loneliest road in America. But it's, it's kind of this weird, magical surrealism thing where, you know, there's all these parallels to Egyptian mythology that. So there's stuff that, you know, like gods and like things from Egyptian mythology showing up. And he doesn't really mm-hmm. bat an eye at it. It's just kind of natural within the story world. Um, so it has a weird kind of surrealist um, aspect to it. And it's it's really about like grief and such like that. And I'm doing that on Patreon right now. Um, there'll be 12 chapters and it's supposed to mimic the the Pharaoh's journey through the afterlife, uh, the 12 okay. chambers of hell. That's cool. Yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty happy with it so far. And, um, that one is weird though. Cause I'm writing it. That one I did not plan out. Like I kind of planned it out as far as, you know, the Pharaoh's journey. And, mm-hmm. um, so I have like what each chapter is supposed to represent, but I have, I'm writing it month to month, which is kind of different for me. And then, um, doing a new novel for weird house press um which i have a very good relationship with weird house press they're uh, fantastic to work with joe maury is just the books are gorgeous too oh so joe i don't know if you know this joe Mori was the he was the founder of dark regions press um way right. back in the day and um his son runs it now so joe has weird house press now and um he's been doing this since the 80s or something like that and he just, he just knows how to put together a fabulous book and he has such a wealth of knowledge about the genre and about the business. So he's fantastic to work with and he's just a really nice guy. So I'm doing a a new novel for them, which is going to be um, a Lovecraftian thing within the Lovecraftian mythos, which kind of Joe wanted something within that. And I've, I, I haven't done much within the actual mythos because I have such a, a, Respect for Lovecraft that I, I was afraid of shitting on what he did, and <laughs> messing it up. Um, yeah. But I'm going to give it a try. I think I have a, a pretty cool idea for it, and um, it's going to be kind of Lovecraft meets Silent Hill kind of thing. We'll see. Oh, we'll see cool. if I pull it off. And yeah, and then um, putting together a collection, which will be a lot of reprints and a lot of the stuff I have put on Patreon, but also um, some new short fiction. Um, that I'm, I'm working with, with another publisher tentatively. I have a kind of a verbal agreement with them at this point. Um, and both of those are probably going to come out next year, probably late next year. And then there's that, um, that shared universe thing I told you about, which is finished, but that's going to be coming out next year. Um, so a lot of stuff like that. And I have um, a new short story coming out in Penumbra number 2, Maybe like this month or next month. I'm not sure when it's going to drop, which is a journal that ST Joshi edits for Hippocampus Press. Okay. So that's what I have going on at the moment. Got a lot going on. It's what you're
2: saying. I know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Brad, I want to get into some of this uh, podcast stuff. Do so you want to do a game first and, and get yeah, that in we'll there, kind of game. bring things up for us?
2: So we're going to play a lightning round with everybody. And this is what we spent our budget well, well, I on. I, I can, can get the timer. Yeah. Let, me, <laughs> yeah. let me get the timer. We'll do 60 I seconds. All right. Forget about this. So, so that's Are what we, all our budget
0: goes to, Curtis. Is, is, is that graphic? Yeah, I was looking at graphics. Are we doing 60 seconds? or? Yeah, we'll do 60 seconds. Okay.
2: So I've got 20 questions, I think. Yeah, 20 questions. We'll see how many you can get
0: done in 60 seconds. All right. Are we ready? Are you ready? ready? You tell me when you're ready. Let's do this and go.
2: Who or what is your faz- favorite cosmic entity?
1: Uh, girl off.
2: Who is your favorite classical composer?
1: Beethoven or Tchaikovsky.
2: Do you believe in ghosts?
1: No. I wish if I you could meet it.
2: If you could meet any author alive or dead, who would it be?
1: Uh, probably Lovecraft.
2: What's your favorite holiday?
1: Halloween or Christmas.
2: Your desert island book. Oh, it'd
1: have to be something huge. Um, can I get a, an omnibus of the dark tower?
2: There you go. What's your favorite food?
1: Unfortunately, pizza.
2: <laughs> your dream vacation spot?
1: Uh, Costa Rica. I'd love a surf trip to Costa Rica.
0: 10 seconds.
2: Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be?
1: Invisibility. What's Five. your favorite band? Uh, Guns N' Roses. And we're done.
2: We'll, we'll throw in one more to finish it off. Who would win in a fight? Cthulhu or Haster, a.k.a. the King in Yellow?
1: I think Cth- Cthulhu would eat him. I think. <laughs> Just eat him. Yeah.
0: All right, I want to cool. keep track of me. he did. <laughs> did you? Uh
2: I skipped around, so I don't know. Okay. Okay. We got like ten
0: or so. But that's our unorganized game to break things up. All right.
1: <laughs> so I, I I panic. I'm like, I'm like, is it Guns N' Roses or it's Sam Samhain or is it, <laughs> it We're
0: gonna go with Guns N' Roses. <laughs> who, could, who could it be? <laughs>
3: Depends on what day of the week it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. Have yeah. a favorite band for every day of the week. Yep. So let's. Uh, I, I'm really curious about your podcast. Weird transmissions. Am I saying that right? I,
1: I, that's how I say it. I don't know okay. if I'm well, saying. It right. be, well, but, <laughs> I mean, you spelled w- weird, but W Y R D. I've yeah. heard people pronounce it word, but I meant it to be pronounced weird.
0: That's you the meant, weird. To, you meant weird to be pronounced weird okay yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice okay. I, I like that play there so describe what what's going on with this podcast here what is this all about
1: well it started kind of as a is an extension of these live readings I was doing here in Salem uh, there's this place called kodo which is a a sushi and underground music venue in uh, in Salem is that because that goes together yeah it it's, it's actually like a sign with a pentagram on it it says Salem and it says uh sushi and underground music you know like that's the sign <laughs> so um I just called them one day and asked them if I could do readings there. And they said, yes. So I started putting on author readings and then that kind of got pushed aside because of COVID. And I, Willem Pugmire had just died and I'd never had any, any sort of contact with him, but I had just read the book he did with Jeffrey Thomas. uh, The, encounters with Enoch coffin. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with Williams writing. And I was like, man, I'm never going to get to talk to this guy cause he just died. And like, I never reached out to him or anything. I started thinking about how many awesome people there are that are contemporaries of me that live around. I said, I should try to talk to some people. So yeah. I'm going to start a podcast. And you know, I got to talk to Ramsey Campbell. I got to talk to, uh, to John Langan. Um, it's not live yet, but I talked to Laird Barron a couple weeks ago. Um, Ari Vaughn from Danzig, because I don't just do authors, I do musicians and artists. Anybody I find interesting, pretty much. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just did it as a social thing, because I really, I I have a friend who, you know, we'll meet up maybe once a month, and we'll just walk around or drive around for hours, and we'll just have these conversations. I realize Mm -hmm. that's something that I, I, one of the things I value most, is having conversations about art, and music, and philosophy, and stuff like that. Um, Uh So I decided to make that a bigger part of my life, and talk to more people about it. So... That's what I decided to do. How long, <laughs> How long you have you been this? doing it? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's 65 episodes right now. Okay. I try to do one a week. Um, sometimes I don't get it. Uh, yeah, I've skipped a few weeks here and there, but yeah, so
3: roughly the, uh, 65 weeks.
0: <laughs> you carry around like a tape recorder, or do it all over the phone line, or me and Brad just want to know. So when we get invited onto it, what to expect? That's all.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> well, I usually see, use Streamyard, <laughs> which is what you guys use, and. Yeah, um,
0: yeah but
1: sometimes that doesn't work uh, for whatever reason I've used um, you know Skype before with uh, Ari Vaughn from Danzig you know he's very kind of not a tech guy so I got an app from my phone that let me record the phone call and I just talk to him on the phone
0: for three hours <laughs> wow funny funny somebody in a band not not a tech guy this day and age when they you know they do so much editing on computers well oh as, he yeah.
1: hasn't really uh you yeah. know, i mean he still plays music but he left Danzig in like the 90s so. right <laughs> <laughs> um so that's um
0: you have like a set schedule. That you, I try or to rec- do you just try to do it when you, when you feel like you could do it?
1: I try to put up an episode every Tuesday, but I, um, I record usually on Thursdays or Fridays, but it, I always have a back count, like a back of it. I usually have like a month worth ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. and I try to work it around the guests as best as I can. So, um, sometimes I might do like, th- I might record three in a week, um, or I might not record any that week. It really depends on, on what the people can do. Yeah. Um, and also, I do panel kind of things on there too uh, occasionally. Like I did one – actually, I did one on musical horror. Um, and I had Douglas Wynn and James Chambers and Todd Keesling on there. And, you know, setting up collab- – uh, coordinating something like that with multiple people is kind of tough. Right. Um, yeah. And I just did one. It's not live yet, but I did one where we discussed pornography as art. And I had Danny, um, uh, Danny Brown, who calls herself the Queen of Filth, who writes kind of like weird erotic absurdist stuff was mm-hmm. on there and she's in England. And then I had Samantha Mack, who's an adult <laughs> film star, and she was out in California. So, you know, there's like this huge time difference. So oh, yeah. I'm on the East Coast. So um, yeah, I just do it whenever I can coordinate it with the people. Um, when I did Ramsey Campbell, once again, he's in the UK, so he's he's later than we are. So I did that in the afternoon. Right. And,
0: yeah. Is there like an ultimate uh, interviewee that you're trying to get or anyone to oh said Glenn Danzig?
1: No? Glenn Danzig, hands down, you know, there's this joke that I, Danzig comes up like every episode. Um, I'm like obsessed with everything, you know, Danzig's done musically pretty much. Uh, and I'm trying he to. Does,
0: I don't think he does very many interviews to begin with. So. He doesn't. Yeah. Um, he hates people. And, uh, <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> and um, I've been trying so hard, you know, I've talked to the guy who runs Seventh House, which is his, uh, kind of like his unofficial fan club. And, um, I've reached out to other people he's been in bands with, <laughs> but it's, it's not going to happen. He's never going to do it. But that would be the one. <laughs>
2: that, that's your big fish. Yeah. HM. yeah.
0: So I before... actually even
1: found his agent on IMDb and reached out to his agent. <laughs> really? <laughs> Did
0: Start you get a response? I ran no. emails to whoever. He hey, to you. you may be his mailman. Can you send him a letter for me? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So before we get into your readings, um, last thing about the podcast here. let's Brad has something. Uh, which podcast do you listen to the most? And any answer besides Paper Cuts gets you banned. It's the, it's the wrong answer. Yeah. Well, paper Cuts is definitely the number one. yeah, Do you ever check out other podcasts? Like, hmm, what are they doing? Maybe yeah, I can well, switch it up every I, now and then. And see.
3: I listen to
1: This Is Horror. They have a lot of good guests on This Is Horror. Um, I listen to the Lovecraft Ezien podcast. And then um, I, that's, that's probably it for like, horror podcast that i listen to regularly i listen to the self-publishing podcast there's a lot of good business information on that and then um there's some like some financial podcast i listen to which is about um kind of um i guess ethical ways to build wealth and such like that um and i also listen to you know some more philosophical stuff um like in political stuff, which I don't really want to name here because I'm going to piss <laughs> someone on. off if I do. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, so we just ruined it. No, go there. Yeah. whole show's <laughs> over.
1: Yeah. <laughs> do you want
2: to go ahead and do your reading? Yeah, you sure. From, from Devil's Night?
1: Yeah. So, this one is called Fire Sermon. You know, I should have bookmarked it because it, it has this fancy book ribbon right in built into the book. <laughs> Did I use it? No, I didn't. Um, so,. This one's called Fire Sermon, and it's kind of a shorter one, but it's—I've read this live at those uh, weird horror readings in Salem. I mentioned, so mm-hmm. people seem to like it, and it's got this cool illustration right here. Yeah, the art. So, what's his? What's the artist's
0: name? Lucas? Luke Spooner. Luke Spooner. He's, he also he's,
1: goes by Carrion House. So, Devil's yeah.
0: Night's available now, or? So yeah. actually,
1: so the, the hardcover is still available. I think okay. they, uh, there might be like 50 copies left um, at weird house and you can only get the hardcover directly from them, but the ebook went live today. Okay. So it's there finally available in ebook. We're trying to get the trade paper back up as well, but um, ebooks 4.99 99 on Kindle right now. So um, all right. Fire sermon. Brothers and sisters, we are gathered here tonight to join in solidarity against the encroaching darkness. We come together to take a stand, to reject the crime, the pain, and the sin of this world and its prince. We come together as one to embrace the light. Beyond these hallowed walls, a city is burning. Greedy, weak-willed men scramble about for Satan's shallow offerings. They fight, steal, and destroy for scraps of cash, for reputation and respect, or for simple carnal pleasure. They light fires desperate for a warmth that they shall never know because they choose to dwell outside of God's light. But let's talk about fire for a moment, shall we? Fire is a tool born of the Lord. It's a force of purification from Michael's flaming sword to the ovens that kill bacteria in our food. God hath rained it upon his enemies in biblical times and Mother Church used it to purge wickedness and sin not so long ago. Before the lies of the modern age, before the rationalist charlatans tried to erase the miraculous, we knew that a barrier of holy fire lay between the worlds we could see and heaven itself. So if fire is a holy thing, why would God Almighty allow the wicked to misuse it? Why, in all his wisdom, would he allow these savages to use a sacred force to kill and destroy? Why would he let destitute men and women get trapped in burning buildings and allow firefighters to perish, choked by toxic smoke or roasted by heat? Well, the first thing you must remember, and remember this well, is that God makes no mistakes. In his infinite grace, the Lord gave us free will, just as he gave us fire. And why would he bestow such dangerous gifts? Because they are the keys that open the door between this hell we call earth, this imperfect creation of the demiurge ruled by the serpent of Eden and heaven itself. But these keys, brothers and sisters, they must be used in conjunction. I spoke of the holy inferno that separates this world and all the others in the night sky from the invisible and perfect. It is a pure flame born of God's incredible love and no wicked thing can pass through it. Only those armored in faith can hope to walk through the burning gates of the welkin and become one with the infinite to wear the armor of faith. Now that is a choice. And that is what I mean when I say the keys to heaven, fire and will must be used in conjunction. That is why the vengeful and godless are burning to death across Detroit tonight and why that death shall lead to oblivion because they are not armored in faith. They play with holy fire as if it were a toy. Or they have the hubris to presume they can extinguish the sacred power without seeking God's grace. But we, brothers and sisters, we know better. And that, that is why we are gathered, to seek out the grace of God. Now, I see some of you crying in the pews. I see some of you struggling against your bonds, a squirming as Brother Holloway and Sister Sylvia approach you with the baptismal kerosene. But fear not, brothers and sisters, our journey is only beginning. Oh, I have such shots to show you. Our shared faith has brought us to this moment, to the celebration of the light, into the precipice of the sacred inferno. Let the devils have this night. Let them have the whole damn world, in fact. We, brothers and sisters, our congregation that has been so misunderstood and so maligned by the unfaithful and uninitiated, we shall soon be one with eternity clad in the armor of faith we shall embrace the cleansing fire and step through that burning gauntlet purified and worthy to sit at the table of the lord
0: bravo <laughs> I, love, I love the animation. that was fantastic i i, I was totally you. i was totally picturing like a like a dark smoky bar at, you know over mic night for people to read their poetry like i, I totally totally got it nice
1: <laughs> um in that story is exactly six hundred sixty-six words. <laughs> did
0: you plan that specifically? <laughs> no, I got it to like. You way? took out a few thuds. That you? yeah. yeah. You know, oh, I was it.
1: like, I was like, this is six hundred sixty-eight words. I can't <laughs> <I> take <can't laughs> got two. Exactly. <laughs> so, and um, do I have time for the poem?
2: Oh yeah, go ahead.
1: All right. So I was going to do a poem as well. This is in the Horror Writers Association Poetry Showcase Volume Six, nice. and. uh This is one of the, I don't know, this might be the first or second poem I ever sold, and it's called White Night and Black Stars. She sang beneath the white noise of an old UHF band. She beckoned from the static of a broken magnavox, a tonal yet alluring, her song a siren's demand. Her monochrome beauty spoke of far exotic land or long forgotten races living in oceans or locks. She sang beneath the white noise of an old UHF band. Sweet discordant notes in nothing's formed my lady's command. To lay my lips upon the screen, to bow before that box. A tonal yet alluring, her song a siren's demand. Her electric caress coursed through each finger and each hand. Her ultra lips and copper kiss gave playful static shocks. She sang beneath the white noise of an old UHF band. She urged my face through liquid glass into that shifting sand of black and white cathode ray light our world's in equinox. A tonal yet alluring, her song a siren's demand. One last kissed, and she vanished into white night and black stars. The glass reformed, leaving my soul and face within that box. A tonal yet alluring, her song a siren's demand, she sang beneath the white noise of an old UHF band.
2: Nice. Nice.
1: So do you, do you write a lot of poetry? Um, I was writing a lot of poetry for a little while for a little bit. I was doing two poems a month on Patreon and that kind of, I wasn't able to keep it up with my workload and stuff recently, but, um, I enjoy writing it. It's, it's a different kind of challenge and I used to write lyrics when I played in band. So I I enjoy it. Um, my next collection is going to, um, thank you Priscilla. (laughs) 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 My, um, my next collection should have a few poems in it, assuming that the publisher doesn't hate them. And uh, <laughs> and I'd like to do an illustrated poetry book at some point. That's on my bucket list.
0: Do you make everything rhyme? <laughs> depends. No, I don't. Uh, I, I, it, I was, it was saying, a joke because you know, I, no. I, I read a lot of poetry that doesn't rhyme. It was just a joke. So, um,
1: I get, so it's interesting. Poetry, there's a lot of um, free verse poetry and stuff like that yeah. now. And I can't really write that sort of stuff because. I feel like I'm not good enough at it. So I, I need to use like established modes of poetry, like a villanelle or a, a sonnet or whatever. Um, Cause I like a roadmap, um, but I, I, I like experimenting with it. I like the limitations of working with an established form. Right. Um, Cause it kind of makes me, makes me get more creative with the language. Sometimes when I have to fit a certain amount of syllables or a certain yeah. rhyme scheme,
2: so, well, Minnie's got a question here. Yeah,
1: yeah, about um, Devil's
2: Night, the ebook. Does that include the artwork, or is that just the hard ebook?
1: Cover? Does have the artwork? Um, nice. That's, so
2: that's nice for an ebook to have the artwork. Yeah,
1: um, I actually formatted the ebook myself for Weirdhouse. Um, so the the artwork's all in there. The artwork will be in the paperback when it comes out, but the paperback artwork will be black and white. Um, okay.
2: Yeah. And the I guess the ebook it's in color still.
1: The ebook is in color still. Yes. If you have it looks great on handle. a screen. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Is the right. paperback also through Weird House as well? Yes, it's all through Weird cool. House. Nice. Uh, yep. So I wanna so tell people about this real quick. What all so this is all yeah taking place on Halloween, not necessarily the same Halloween, I don't think, right? Or um
1: it takes place on the night before Halloween. It's all October thirtieth, nineteen eighty seven. Okay. So um, it's
2: in Detroit, right. If I'm not mistaken. in Detroit.
1: Yeah. So anybody who doesn't know back in the day, um, not so much anymore, the night before Halloween, it was called devil's night in Detroit and people mm-hmm. would set the whole damn city on fire and, <laughs> you know, smash storefronts and steal. And, um, it was, it was a real kind of nightmare to live through. And, um, some of it was people just, um, exploiting, you know, for profit or, you know, trying to, trying to vent but also there were things where the police couldn't quite do their jobs whether they they weren't I don't know if they weren't competent enough or if they weren't funded enough but there was a huge drug problem and such so um, a lot of you know working class people in Detroit would go out and they'd like burn down drug dens and gang dens and such mm-hmm. um so some like of those vigilante fires, justice kind of yeah so, so a lot of those fires were like vigilante things um and then a lot of it was just kids or you know, insurance yeah. jobs or whatever. So, um, you know, this is all documented kind of in, in the movie, The Crow, which is where I found out about it when I was younger. And I didn't even realize it was a real thing until years later. Um, so I was always fascinated by it. Once I found out it was real. And Joe at Weird House, he read uh, Blackheart Boys Choir, and he's like, this is fantastic, and I absolutely can't sell it. Um, so he's <laughs> like, well, why don't you write me a short story collection? And I said, OK. And he said, how do you feel about doing a Halloween collection? And I said, how about I do a Devil's Night collection? Because nice. that sounds, you know, that hasn't really been done. And he said, yeah, it sounds fantastic. And um, I pitched it as kind of being similar to, to like Sin City, where all the stories would be kind of you know interconnected in loose right. ways. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's what it is it's a a group of loosely connected stories with some recurring characters and some events that overlap that all take place on the same devil's night and it really explores the 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 issues the social issues of detroit at that time but through kind of a supernatural lens for the most part and um yeah it it was very it was very cool to write because i like I said, I find devil's night fascinating. I find Halloween imagery really fun to write. And the, the history of Detroit going into it, all the research I did was really fascinating and and kind of heartbreaking. It was a, it was a really tough place to live back then. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to be as honest as I could about that without um, exploiting it. Kind of, yeah, without exploiting it and um, without doing anything that would be, um, I guess, crass or or offensive for the sake of being offensive um so there was a lot of racism in detroit on every you know it wasn't just like you know white cops in in black citizens or whatever it was you know um like the a lot of the black community hated the arab community because after white flight happened um you know all these you know in the 60s all the white people fled from detroit proper into the suburbs so Mm -hmm. all the people in these black neighborhoods you know, they're like, well, we could buy up the businesses and everything, but they didn't have the credit. They didn't have the money. So a lot of Arab immigrants moved in and they bought up the businesses and such. So there was a lot of resentment from the black community against the Arab community. And then there was, you know, black versus white racism and all this other stuff. So it was a bunch of little tribes, um, almost. And I wanted to touch upon that and kind of the, the, the tragedy of that and living in this really divided, um, violent city that, is dealing with drugs and uh, crime and poverty and the, the failing auto industry was a huge part of it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So there's no jobs to go around. Um, and I wanted to address those as honestly as I could. Through the that, lens that's of a hard thing addiction. to do,
0: especially that subject matter. That, there's a fine line that you have to do it with the proper taste. Exactly. You know, it really come off totally bad if, if you just mess up one thing. So.
1: Exactly, mm-hmm. and for the most part, I think I think it went over well. I think people believe that I handled it well, which I mm-hmm. I hope I did. Um, I got one review where the person um, was uncomfortable. It was a younger person; they were uncomfortable that there was that it talked about racism and that it right. had, you know, um, tackled racism at all. they're you know, like I know this takes place in the '80s, but you know, it's the 21st century. Um, yeah, and I could see that with younger people getting, you know, who didn't live around this thing when they were younger, getting really uncomfortable um even talking about it. But it was real and it happened and I, I think it's important to explore.
2: Right. Yeah. There's like an authenticity as well. Like you can't just ignore it and say it never happened. Exactly. Yeah, pay homage is not the right word, but you know it had do it in a graceful way where you know like you were trying to do where it doesn't offend somebody or are try not to offend people. But it's a thing that happened. So
0: you know, and, and, that's what you can, about, and that's what you can learn see from like,
2: it as well yeah
0: yeah and that's what you can see like the writers really done their research how mm-hmm. deep to go with it that it's didn't throw stories they heard you know five minutes of on the news where they actually did a research look farther into it to put everything together to make sense so yeah absolutely
1: yeah. you know I, i've read a bunch of books on there there's actually another book that i think might be called devil's Night. it's um like a non-fiction book that i read um which got into there's a story in there called um devil's tongue which um is about like an arab um store owner and this kind of teenage black gang member and a lot of that was inspired by like real stories i read in that book and um also the mythology though the detroit has such a rich mythology which was another great thing to um to be able to draw on it was really rewarding like um There's the Nain Rouge, which is a this kind of like demonic figure that pops up in the stories. And one of the things I love about like urban legends is they're they're so unreliable. It's always different depending on who's saying it. So depending on which story you read about the Nain Rouge, it's either like a bad omen, or it could be like a beneficial figure that shows up to to help in some way, or it's a straight up demon. And I was able to write stories where the Nain Rouge takes on these different different elements, and kind of you never know exactly what it is, which I thought kind of embraced the whole urban legend thing. And then. So it's different
3: aspects of the same. same Exactly.
1: Um, And I really enjoy doing stuff like that. And then there's, you know uh, this, this urban legend about like this, this hobo pig lady, um, which I incorporated. (laughs) And um, yeah, there's just a, a bunch of, a bunch of really cool urban legends and folklore and ghost stories that um, I was able to draw on and it was, it was fantastic, um, to put it together and to, to try to do my best to, to treat it with respect and, uh, write some cool stories. Yeah. You talk about all the folklore and urban legends that totally gave me
2: Candyman vibes. You were talking about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Candyman was one of the stories I, I went back to when I was working on this because I was thinking about some of the similarities with Candyman and the urban legend thing. Um. So did you the, read
2: the did you read the clive barker story i
1: read the clive barker story yeah. yeah um but i think um for this the the film was more in line with what i was doing um mm-hmm.
0: you didn't you didn't kill a dog though did you
1: no i don't think i don't think i kill any any dogs and i try I, not to um yeah i i know people get real sensitive about that <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well
3: you I don't, don't care all, don't the, care. People you, you all the people you want, to.
0: You want yes Just, what's uh I, and my wife makes me watch it to let her know when it's over. You know, when when you know yeah. it's coming, mean, she's doing this, but she's like, "Is it over?" I'm like, "Why do I have to watch it?" I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think I've ever killed a dog in any of my stuff. So, <laughs> but just wait, Jay. Just wait. He's gonna do it. For
2: me, <laughs> I know, really. Like, um just, just well, for you, Jay. What? <laughs> one last thing before this book. You have a story in here called D twenty, and I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons nerd. So you also play Dungeons and Dragons.
1: I've been playing D D since I was about. Ten years old, Um, nice, and I played nonstop until like my mid thirties, and then Mm -hmm. life got a little bit hectic. And you know, because I can't. My my wife actually, my wife and I met playing D&D. Let me show you something. I'll be right. Okay. Uh,
2: Did he have pants on, Jay? I couldn't tell. Could you tell?
1: (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Shorts. This is the bouquet from my my wife's bouquet from our wedding, and the petals are made out of the pages of a second edition Dungeon
0: Master's Guide. Oh, no,
2: that's cool! That's uh, that's that's extreme that, nerd, that right cool there. though? That's, yeah. I was going to say that, that is cool. cool? That's I don't know. Cool.
0: I think the verdict's out on that. Cool <laughs> that's cool. So
1: we didn't meet playing D anD D, but like that's how our relationship kind of started. It was over the okay. course of a D anD D game, and um, and yeah, it's been a it's been a huge part of my life for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just D D, but like tabletop role playing games in general. Um yeah. so I was really thrilled with the illustration for that story too. Um Luke That's did a cool. did a great job with that. Um and it, yeah, that was a fun story to write. Um yeah, I
2: don't
0: know how well it'll show up, but
1: yeah. yeah.
2: What
0: kind Good. of uh, input do you have for the illustrations? Did you have the ideas uh, of someone else? Oh, put yeah. Or... Oh,
1: yeah. Joe, um, Joe at Weird House said, just, you know, tell Luke what you want him to draw. Like, I have a budget for this many illustrations. Yeah. So I sent Luke kind of like maybe like a couple sentences on each thing, and he just went to town.
0: Do you um, do artwork yourself, too? Or No, I'm okay.
1: awful. I can do like <laughs> like kind of digital layout stuff, but I can't draw. So. Okay.
2: And Luke did the cover for boy's heart as well he which did the, yeah this is did. my favorite cover of any book i read
1: i guess last year yeah i saw that thank you for that awesome uh that awesome video yeah.
2: I, uh, I like the, the colors in it and everything just the whole aesthetic of it's great
1: that that's kind of why i chose luke for that because he was doing these really like nice like um oh thank you for, yes i did find love through <laughs> DD um <laughs> and um a lot of Luke's stuff had these like purples and blues and like almost like hot pinks. And it, it was so eye catching. Um, yeah. I just, I actually, um, you know, I bought that cover from him before I even decided to self publish or whatever. Um, I was still shopping it around and I was shopping it around with the cover. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so
3: that's a um, great cover.
1: Yeah, but Luke's fantastic too. You know, I, I sent Luke the idea for the Black Boys Choir cover. Mm-hmm. And he had it back to me in less than 12 hours.
0: Oh. I think
2: maybe you messaged me that. like It was like almost instant turnaround. Yeah. That just
1: blows my mind. Um, in the, the Devil's Night illustrations, he got those done super fast. He's 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 such a professional. He, he puts out such great work, and he does it fast. Um, I can't say enough great things about working with him.
2: So talk about kind of art on transition. So you also write
1: comic books as well, Comics and right?
0: Obviously graphic novels, right? Yeah. So
1: I did comics for about 10 years before I started writing prose. It's a very limited success. And the reason I wrote my first novel is because I didn't have any more money to pay artists that I wasn't <laughs> going to make back. I was sitting there. Uh, we were saving up for, for our own home. And I was like, I can't keep shelling out thousands of dollars for artwork that's going to sit on my computer that no one's ever going to see. Because <laughs> one of the things when you're doing comics, when you're pitching comics to a company, you have to have a lot of times like, um, you know, five to 10 pages finished you know like yeah. art and everything that you send to the publisher and then they reject um so i had all these like started projects you know like five pages of this three pages of this ten pages of that um and i didn't have the money to keep paying the artist to do the full thing um so i start a new project and try to get that published and that didn't get published and um i did self publish a few things i had a press called broken soul press for a while and i did some one shots nothing huge through there um i got I did one graphic novel that I scripted for Q publishing called Diabolicus, um, which I didn't actually write it per se, I scripted it. I worked off an outline that the owner gave me for a story that he came up with. And that's mm-hmm. that's Diabolicus, which is one of my earliest pieces. Um, and the only big thing that I ever put out, um, like as far as like big in size, was a graphic novel called Mestima, which I wrote, um, was published from arcana comics and the artist on that nico leone i gave him his first job in comics and he has an exclusive contract with marvel now and he's drawn spider-man he's wow. drawn That's um, awesome. yeah she hulk captain marvel all this stuff and
0: a couple Does he of ever years mention ago, you when he's getting awards or anything yeah <laughs> so
1: <laughs> he hasn't but he drew me and my family into an issue of spider-man Uh, so there's an issue of spider-man where we're in the background um that's very sweet and he's from argentina but he moved to japan and uh he was at new york comic-con a few years ago and he had tickets to this red carpet stanley memorial thing and he's like hey why don't you come to new york and go to the stanley memorial with me um so i got to go with him and it was all you know it was filled with you know writers and artists but also it had like all the netflix actors and like the guy who played um you know the uh the head guy on agents of shield there and um oh
2: yeah um Coulson head Coulson yeah yeah me. Coulson
1: yeah. yeah um and um his name um Tom Hiddleston was there you know it, it was very oh, cool. That's cool um and we got to take red carpet pictures and stuff um, yeah it was it was very kind of him to take me there i said man like you're like in the united states at this comic convention and you're like a professional artist and you're young why don't you like take some girl from the convention <laughs> And he's like no no thank
0: you you, you guys you guys, nerd out with Dungeons and Dragons. I would nerd out with that. I would nerd out with the Marvel stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah. So Mistema was the only thing I did that had like diamond distribution um, that was like kind of significant in length, but I did do a comic called the wrong house that I self-published um, which was optioned for a film and never actually made, got made into a film, but it was optioned. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. I made more money oh. off of that than any of the other comic <laughs> stuff I ever did.
2: So are and, any uh, of your comics still available to find anywhere? Or are they all... Yeah. Um,
1: Mestima is up on Comixology, and then, like, the Broken Soul Press stuff um, is on um, Trip Through Comics, I think. Mm-hmm. You can still get the Broken Soul Press stuff. And then I have a couple web comics that are out there. Um, there's something called Curse of the Black Terror, which was uh, like a reimagining of a public domain character from like the golden age. And I finished one story arc of that and then abandoned it during the second story arc. So there's the unfinished, that there's an unfinished <laughs> sci-fi comic called Divis Morde. Um A lot of beautiful art, but I, um I just never had the money to, to finish them. So yeah.
3: it's an so expensive
1: wrote,
2: thing. <laughs> so you write comic books and you've poetry and just prose. Do you have a favorite out of those or one I that's
1: think- easier than the other one? I think I'm the best at prose. I think that's what I've learned. Um, I have a real deep love of comics going back, mm-hmm. Like it's one of my first loves. Um, and I love seeing an artist bring my ideas to life. Yeah. Um, and I get real nerdy about the the physics of comics, so to speak, you know, the, the time between the gutters and like, you know, the, the way the panels work and the visual type stuff. in it, um, I really love the craft of it. Um, but, prose is more rewarding to me, I think, in general, and maybe it's just because I've been more successful with it. Maybe that's yeah. colored my my <laughs> view on things. Um, Do you
0: have any other uh, writers in your family?
1: N- I don't think so. Um,
0: so. So you're the one that nobody sits with at the family functions because of the stuff <laughs> you write. But, so
1: right? my family here in Massachusetts <laughs> is basically my mom, like aside from my <laughs> wife, you know, um, and. Um, but yeah, if I had more family, they probably wouldn't sit with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That's the guy that writes the the, the, the scary stuff,
1: guys. <laughs> no, usually um you know, if I am at something with like my wife's extended family or something, you know, people do, might ask about it. Um, but
0: you know, I think it's more of a polite thing usually. <laughs> it, well, so, then did you have the the ones that are like, well, you know, I got I got a good idea for a story. Oh, um, and that's uh that's that's a, it, it becomes not some with kind my like family erotica. <laughs>
1: that happens that that happens at work that happens when i meet like random people it happens you know i'll reconnect with somebody f- like from my past on facebook No, yeah. like oh you're writing books you should write this book you know <laughs>
2: it's
0: i'll, like, I'll oh. talk to you when we get off the air <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, mitch seaboard
2: we got him on he kind of talked about the same thing like he doesn't like when people are like hey you should write this idea it's like well if you want to do that you should write it yourself
3: yeah
1: well that's that's the thing you know and i like i don't i'm not like offended by it but like yeah every writer has a million ideas none of us are like scraping for ideas which scraping for time and you know and maybe we're trying to figure out how to how to best express those ideas but we're not you know we all have notebooks full of like stories we want to tell um Mm -hmm. but if you like have a really cool idea just do it like you don't need anybody's permission you don't even have to make it good you can just write it like um and I come from a real DIY background. I was putting out like shitty metal demos in like 1994. Um, and I was putting out indie comics by myself. And I started off self-publishing books. Um, so all so, that second
0: nature to doing the indie books. Yeah. All that second nature to now.
1: So just, I mean, if, if you have an idea for a story or a song or anything, just do it, man. You don't need anybody's permission. Just It comes down to, to having the discipline to, to put it down on paper
2: yeah especially with you know kindle direct publishing anybody can get published and put it out there for people to read and stuff
1: yeah and like i said it doesn't even have, it doesn't have to be good if like you i mean it should be good if you want to have a career but like if you just want to yeah. do it it doesn't have to be do, do so there, there's no excuse as far as that do i write every day yeah, um nah, like. I, I, so what, like i said when i was working less i was working I, monday through friday i had set times i'd write in, from uh nine to eleven and one to two every day and that was a good groove that I was in. Now I just write when I can find the time. So it's um, usually when people are like, I try to write before people are awake or after they've gone to sleep. But that's yeah. pretty much no time now. Like my son yeah. wakes up early, my wife is up late. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just squeeze it in wherever I can. Um, whether it's you know on a lunch break or when somebody's watching a tv show i'm not interested in or whatnot yeah. um and then sometimes i'll just you i'll say okay guys i need two hours and i um. just take two hours um and you know my family respects my time in that sort of way so as long as as long as the house isn't falling apart and nothing's on fire <laughs> right. i can usually find like at least an hour or a day or so um but with when i was when i wrote the devoured and it's a bad 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 world i was working like 60 hours a week and I wrote those books on train rides and lunch breaks, you know? So mm-hmm. if you want to do it, you find the time. Yeah. So you
2: don't have like a certain word
1: count you try to hit every day. Just, you can do, you just do what you can. I do. just do time. Yeah. I, I do what I can do. And, um, you know, I'm kind of a slow writer and I, I can't, I'm too nitpicky to just, write and be like oh i'll just fix it later fix it later like i get hung up on on the phrasing of you know every other sentence i get mm-hmm. uh, hung up on names and street n- names and uh, you know i'll get bogged down in all these details i've gotten a little bit better with it with like you know names or streets or something like that or even if i have to do a little research i'll put little notes in there tags to go back to but um mm-hmm. if something if i notice that i started three paragraphs with the same word like i can't just let it sit till the
0: next time
2: like in my reviews like I can't have the same word like in the same sentence. Like if they're that close on the page, it bothers me. I don't know why it's weird.
0: So So, are are you editing as you go along or are you going going back and doing it?
1: I do light edits as I go along. So if I notice something glaring there, you know, I'll go and fix it. And then, um, but as a result of that, my, my first drafts are pretty clean, um, which makes editing easier. So, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. Do you remember if there was like a book when you were younger that you read, uh, it might've been Lovecraft, book, possibly that you're like, you know what, I could do this. I'm going to do this. Was there one that just changed everything for you?
1: Not so much with books um, like comics early on. I was like, I want to do this. And then that was before I started playing guitar and okay. then that kind of shifted. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to, I want to write about superheroes. Um, and I want to write about like monsters and like, you know, ghost Rider was huge for me. Um, uh-huh. So, um, and I, I felt like that was something I could do. And then I think with prose, it wasn't so much I think I can do this, but it made me want to. Was, um, Chuck Palahniuk was it was a huge inspiration for me to start writing. Okay. Um, I just, the way he told stories really spoke
2: Brat's to me. Brad's not a fan, by the way. No. <laughs> <That's all> right. <laughs> I'm, reading, I'm reading. I'm listening to Choke, and it's my first okay. Palahniuk, and it's, I'm kind of bored with it. Okay, but I'm sticking it sticking out because everybody says the ending is just mind blowing. So I'm I waiting like for choke, ending. but
1: it, it wasn't my first. Um, I
0: like to choke though, but um, I haven't read much, but, <laughs> just, but I've I just heard Haunted
2: is really good at what yeah. survival
1: people keep recommending me to try those. Yeah. So his voice really stuck out to me, but also the you know, the other big ones early on, uh, were Vonnegut and mm-hmm. um, obviously Lovecraft and um. Why can't I think right now? Um, Douglas Adams actually like you know the first short story that I ever like tried to write in earnest like really it was mm-hmm. like I'm gonna write a good short story. It sounded like a mashup of like Chuck Palahniuk and Douglas Adams. It was the weirdest thing, you know. Like, <laughs> um
0: and, it was and that's bad. where the weird writing came from. There you yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: I will credit this. So I actually submitted that. Like, you know, I submitted the first short story that I ever like like seriously tried to write, and uh, mm-hmm. the editor got back to me with a personalized rejection letter. And the fact that she took the time to do that and tell me like what worked and, you know, what didn't, um, mm-hmm. I think that went a f- long way in me sticking with it instead of just the the blanket rejection. And I know that yeah. most editors don't have the time to do that, but right. when they can, I think it really makes a difference. And that was writers. a good
0: rejection then.
1: Oh, it was a fantastic yeah. rejection. It was like, you know, oh, you have a great use of language and this. She's basically like, you're not telling a story though. She's like, this is like a monologue. Like, you know, you have... You really painted the scene well, you have great dialogue, um, but there's no story. It Uh, it was a very valid criticism.
2: About how old were you when you submitted that? Do you remember?
1: Oh, I was in my 20s at that point. Um, So it was right before I started doing comics. I was kind of trying to do comics and I was trying to, hell yeah, Zarathos. Uh, (laughs) um, I was trying to do comics and I was trying to, to write some short stories. Basically, I... I had been in the band and it broke up and I decided I didn't want to do stuff with other people anymore. I wanted to do something where it's solo stuff. Yeah. I wanted to do something that was going to succeed or fail based on my merit. You know Mm -hmm. Um, I figured writing was a good, a good way to do that. And also being in the bands, like being in a dysfunctional relationship with like three (laughs) people. And uh, I was kind of tired of that. Um, So I wanted to do something that was, not so social in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Writing's very anti-social. Yeah, it's very kind <laughs> of. Yeah. So yeah. Um so I was trying to still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um but uh yeah I was probably 25 when I submitted that. And and like I said, I didn't know I, I wasn't telling a story. And that's why I started plotting because I realized that when I just sit down and write, I don't tell stories. I just ramble. Like
2: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like you Jay you just like to ramble
1: a
0: little bit. Just a tad. Yeah. So as we start so, uh, uh, winding down, I, I know see... you have a few right, left, Brad. Yeah, I just want to say,
1: in regards to comics, though, it, you know, comics did help me a lot with how to tell a story because, uh, especially with... Um, bands do suck. <laughs> uh, it's fun, too, though. I miss playing live shows. Um,
0: so I miss live music.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, when you're writing comics, economy of storytelling is huge because a lot of times you have... 25 pages to tell a story you know like Mm -hmm. because that's that's what they're going to give you and you can only fit so many panels per page you can only fit so many words per page um so it made me it forced me to plot things out in a way where i could budget this many pages to a scene and i could budget this much dialogue and it made me learn how to tell a story without relying on dialogue with you know visual things and without with showing instead of telling um So a lot of that stuff translated into writing prose and anybody who hasn't done it, I highly recommend trying to do some screenwriting or comic script writing because it's going to make you a much more versatile writer.
0: That's good advice. Yeah. So like with
1: comic books, is there like a certain word count? Like you can't go over or does it not really matter? It's not word count so much. Isn't you, there's like a certain amount of dialogue that you can't go over in like a panel, um, because it just crowds out everything. And, um, depending on the type of story you want to stick to kind of a a grid like you maybe it's a six page grid or you know whatever how i mean six panel grid whatever you kind of decide on and Mm -hmm. then um you have to you can stray from that but you want to use that as kind of a starting point um and some people break these rules you know um brian michael beckis is well known for throwing word bubbles everywhere and he's one of my favorite comic writers and then you have something like Watchmen though, which I think is like a twelve-panel grid, which is you know ridiculous, and it worked mm-hmm. really well. Um, but it's very rigid to that to that grid structure. Um, but yeah, you just there's different considerations with it. And um, I think it really teaches economy of storytelling.
3: Okay. So yeah,
2: because I'm basically a, a newbie when it comes to comic books. I never really got into them as a kid and whatnot. So I don't
0: I don't really know. I, but it, I was really into them when I was younger, and I wish I still had them. I really wish I was. I mean, I, that's why I, I would nerd out for the Marvel stuff. been um, yeah. trying. To, I've been trying to get in graphic novels. Like, I mean, I've I've had Watchmen for like twelve years, thirteen years. I just haven't read it yet. All right. <laughs> I've never, I've never really what, get it.
2: what is the What's the difference between a comic and a graphic novel? Like, what's the distinction between the two?
1: Marketing. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> um, so it was like page count. i, 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 I thought it was like,
0: linked I, I thought it was page well, count, I mean- so
1: it's technically it's page count but like mm-hmm. you know they'll take like collections of like a monthly issue you know they might take six issues of spider-man and because yeah, they like do dist- like the
2: walking dead they put them
1: all together and, and yeah they, is and a then graphic they novel at that point or technically a trade paperback but like they call it a graphic mm-hmm. novel and um there was some i forget what the name of the movie was there was some crime movie with tom hanks that was based on a graphic novel and um in the, in interview, the guy who wrote it, they asked it's him. That wrote to Perdition, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they asked the writer, you know, what is a what's a graphic novel? And he said it's a big fat comic book. And like <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the where it is. Yeah. movie studio yeah. got bullshit because you know, like comic books are for kids, you know. So it really comes yeah. down to just it's a, a way to try to sell comics to adults, you know. Because <laughs> I mean, they look as yeah. far
2: as I can tell, they they're the same. But just one seems longer than the other one. Yeah, that's was what I could difference. got out of it. Yeah, I mean, comic, comic
0: books are not for kids. Not, I mean, there are not some just for no. kids, but there's I mean, definitely some that are not you know, for kids. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, gi- I'm not giving V for Vendetta to my kids three You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> James Fetcho, I have like ten long boxes
1: behind this bookshelf. I've got all mine too. <laughs> well, um, I've got like
2: all my all my Goosebumps books from when I was a kid. I have them over here in a like a old Kroger box. Still, nice. So. Yeah, and Nikki I, says, i selling a, a comic up... of Blackheart." Be so. Cool.
1: This is something I've been trying to work on. um once again it comes down to money but i actually did talk to some artists um and it's something i want to do as a comic book of Blackheart boys choir i started writing a script for it um i i'd really like to do it maybe through kickstarter at some point but that'd um, be
3: sweet yeah but it's i don't it's a i don't remember the project. names i know it was a
2: uh, sarah Tainlinger and i can't remember the other guy's name they did a like a graphic novel about HH Holmes I think recently they did it on Kickstarter. Yep. I think it might be called Devil's something. I don't I
1: can't remember. Yeah, Devil sure. City or something. They it was something it was, like that. But it was also it, like a it was like a tabletop it, game too. Yeah, it was a tabletop. I actually had them on Weird Transmission. Well, I had um oh, that's the cool. Guy who owns a company on Weird Transmissions to talk about it. So
2: that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So would you um if you did turn it into a comic, I guess you would adapt it and take stuff out where it's, or would you try to do the whole thing as
1: I, mean, I I would have to sit down and see what works. I mean, there's there's different considerations. Obviously I can't fit all of Lucian's kind of inner dialogue into a comic format. Well, that would
0: be some pretty cool art though. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's the thing. I think it would be, I think it'd make a very cool visual story. Um, and yeah, I, I'd love to see it. And I have a couple ideas for artists who I'd really like to see do it. But um, yeah, it would, um, it's something I I want to do. It's very much on my bucket list. And Two thousand AD, I got rejected by them so many times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. But we
2: me and Jay were talking before I think you came in about without giving too much way. There's a scene in here where it's almost he goes back to a house that's almost kind of cartoony. That would be yes. awesome to see it in a yeah. you know, graphic novel form.
1: Yeah, you know, that scene came to me like just on the spur. Of, I just came up with it as I was it's writing. Not even it. cartoony,
2: like maybe Sin City is more the kind of well, theme of it. I was
1: it. thinking of like, um like you ever see like um mystery theater. Yeah. Like, the, like I was thinking like the intro to mystery theater kind of thing. Like okay. that's what I had in my head. And um I, I almost took that scene out. Cause I was like, Oh man, this might be, this might be too silly or whatever, but no, I, I think was it like, wasn't
2: no, good. Thank you. Cause he was in that, that mindset where you don't know if what he's doing is real, if it's all in his head and that worked. that played right in the acid
0: trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So, um yeah you, there's uh, there's definitely some uh paper cuts comic book guys huh there you go um,
2: you can write it for us <laughs> yeah.
1: um yeah i would love to see it in some sort of visual it, it'll be the rise and fall
0: of <laughs> the yeah. rise and fall of it'd caps. be one issue and that's it <laughs>
1: um i also put it up there's a uh, this marketplace that you can um get your stuff up on for scre- uh, like production companies to look at um and I put I, I put boys choir up on there, and it was like a a top pick for the company or whatever. And they basically they actively kind of try to pitch it to movie people. So you know yeah. maybe someday that would be cool. If it ever
2: were adapted <laughs> to screen, would you
1: rather have it be a movie or like a limited series or something? Um, I I'm not too picky. I you know I I'm, I'm a big believer in letting experts do what experts do. That's when I did comics, I use the artist's discretion on a lot of things. Because they know mm-hmm. how to make visual shit work you know a filmmaker is going to know how to make something work better than i do so you know yeah i'd leave it up to their discretion but um
3: yeah
2: yeah andres there's books that come on chapters and prose and then chapters and comics that's pretty cool yeah that is and james is, he's got a, a book he's gotta buy, yeah. yeah he's got to buy it now i appreciate it it's, it's an awesome book it's fun
0: That's been every show so far we've, we've had people i think write. we've
2: sold at least one book every show. Yeah. Nice. So that should be our tagline. Come on our yeah. come on our show. We'll sell. You'll a sell a for book. You. We'll sell at least one <laughs> book for you. We promise one. Even if nobody else buys wow. it, I'll have to buy so, it. So, well, Yeah, we have
0: to do. Boys
1: Choir is, for the time being, like ninety nine cents on Kindle. So, is it really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: definitely. So there's no definitely reason worth, not to buy it. <laughs> it's definitely
2: worth more than ninety nine cents. For yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah. So. It's. I think I, I, I do this. I buy like four or five from an author. At once on the Kindle and then get to them later, way later. And I knew we were having it on the show, so I, I binged <laughs> Blackheart Boys acquired uh, this week. So the show has
2: been a good excuse for me for books that I've had to, to actually get to them. because nice. It's like we were talking about earlier. There's so many books to read. Oh, this person's coming on. I should read something. Yeah. So we got
0: yes. Yeah, that's what's coming up. So. <laughs> what so, are you reading also, now? Anything special? Yeah
1: what was that? What am I reading?
0: What are you reading now?
1: I'm uh, listening to the audio book for let me, uh, let the, let the right one in. Okay. okay. Um,
2: which I am almost almost somewhere. Yeah. Is so it go really, back to different names. Is it let me in and then
1: another? Yeah. So let me in is the like American movie and like the audiobook I actually have the version of the audiobook I have is called let me in. Um, but I think mm-hmm. they just changed it because the yeah. movie was called let me in. Cause I've got it over there. I think.
2: Yeah. I, I think it's just called let me in over there.
1: Yeah. So um, same thing though. But yeah, I'm listening to the audiobook of that and um, beta reading some stories for Joshua Rex, who's a fantastic author and a good friend of mine. Um, I've
2: got his collection. I need to get to. What's yeah. it called? What's it called? Um, some uh, with graveyard, right?
1: It's got the graveyard on there. Um, a mighty word, I think.
2: Here, this is the one I have. What's
1: coming for you? Oh, what's coming for you? A mighty word is his novel. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, what's coming for you is the, oh, the another collection. one I need to get to. <laughs> Yes. So I actually, I beta read those stories too for Joshua and, um, and yeah, he's, he's a very cool guy and, um, and just a fantastic writer. I can't recommend his stuff enough. And um, so I'm beta reading some stuff for him and yeah, I've been doing a lot of that. So I haven't gotten to like a lot of book books cause I've been either like beta reading for people or reading stuff, like trying to catch up for somebody who's going to be on the podcast or something yeah. like that. Yeah. After um, you beta read
0: them, do they come back to you, ask you for a blurb or anything or do you
2: do blurbs and stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't gotten asked for a lot of blurbs, but a few I um, I just blurbed a book for, um, uh, Garrett Boatman, his new book floaters. Um, okay. and, uh, I've had a few, Oh, Jason parent used one of my blurbs on, uh, his book, White Trash and Dirty Dingoes. He put my blurb on the cover of that. <laughs> That's a great so, title. It's a great book. Um, Jason parents, a, a fantastic author too. Um, I really enjoy his stuff. Yeah.
2: So something completely separate from books. I wanted to add, since you live in Salem, Massachusetts for you all, there is like the Salem witch trials. Is that a big thing or is that more like, <laughs> That's the tourist um, stuff.
1: No, well, I mean, it's the tourist stuff, but it's, I mean, it's, it's the industry that drives the city. Um, It's kind yeah. of, it's kind of absurd. And uh, so it depends on what you do for work in Salem, how you feel about it. So uh, if you work downtown in the tourist area, if you work in the food industry, in one of the witchcraft uh, shops or the museums, you love it. Uh If you have to drive through Salem to get to work. (laughs) So a lot of people in my neighborhood, like you'll see these bumper stickers that be like, why do they call it tourist season? If you can't shoot them, you know, stuff like that. um, (laughs) So, um, you know, it's tough. I I only moved here maybe seven years ago, six years ago. And Mm -hmm. um, it's still, I like, I love Halloween. I I like spooky stuff. I even like the cheesy, spooky stuff. Um, Yeah. I enjoy it and I work in the Like I can walk to work. So it's, it doesn't bother me. I, I enjoy it. But I, um, if you're trying to get anywhere though, you know, like okay. even it's from September through October 31st, it's a nightmare to go anywhere. Um,
3: the only they thing they do it, up it big for Halloween, don't they? Oh,
1: it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think this year is going to be gigantic because they couldn't really do last year. Um, yeah. so the only thing about it is it's, um, it can be from a historical point of view, I think it's kind of tacky and kind of, um, you know, uh, exploitive. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, essentially it's, you know, I, I like spooky stuff and I like, I like the fun, like sound happenings, but we're kind yeah. of celebrating women who were basically killed for like, for their no property. Reason. It's like, yeah. Oh, I right. want her property. She's a witch, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, um, And it was, that was kind of done by design. So Salem's main industry used to be um, nautical and it was, it was huge trading center. It's the fact that like the far East, I think China thought Salem was its own country because so many ships went there. (laughs) Like, like that's a legit thing that I I heard on a tour here. Um, And um, we have a huge maritime history, but when all that started drying up and like all the business started dying here, somebody was like, didn't we do some awful shit to some old ladies like a hundred years ago? And they're <laughs> like, yeah, like let's make a map of that. Like, let we, you know, let's try to bring in some tourists. And they created this whole like witch industry, and it, a lot of it didn't happen here. Like most of oh, it yeah. didn't happen here. So Old Salem Village was also Danvers, which is the next city over, um, mm-hmm. and most of it happened in Danvers. But Danvers doesn't want any part of it, so they're like, yeah, you guys can, you guys can have that. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're uh,
0: celebrating like a fake celebration almost because. Of the bad yeah. stuff. There's
1: yeah. one house in Salem that's tied to the witch trials. A single house. It's called the Witch House, and it's this cool black house. And the, there's mm-hmm. the spot where they actually hung the witches, which is like behind a Walgreens. And like, uh, <laughs> I was going to um, ask
2: if there's like still like historical sites or is it all just like oh, tourist shops. I'm well,
1: really there's like there. one of the oldest graveyards in the United States. Um mm-hmm. there's the Witch House itself. Um the House of Seven Gables with you know Nathaniel Hawthorne that's here. Um
0: It's like aisle 7 and Walgreens is where two witches were hung. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it's
1: it's actually funny. They only like some historian figured it out a few years back. Um, I guess it wasn't like really known. Um, and they figured it out and there's a monument there, but it's like literally like you, you're like practically at Walgreens. It's like 10 feet away, you know? Um, and yeah, but there is a lot of historical stuff here. And, um, there's a world-class art museum, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, there's, there's other historical aspects here too. Like uh, Lovecraft would go to this cemetery here and he, he took a lot of names from like graves and stuff there. There's a, there's a tree that used to be there. That's referenced in a story. Um, and then actually, um, ST Joshi came here to do, uh, a Lovecraft documentary with the Canadian broadcast company. And I tagged along for some of that. And we went to some places in Salem, but we also went to Danvers where, um, Denver State Mental Institution is where Session Nine was filmed. I don't know if you guys ever saw that movie. Um, I've heard of it? Yeah. So it's also where the full frontal lobotomy was perfected. Um, it, it's one of these like like real horror story places, um, mm-hmm. and it was the inspiration for Arkham Asylum. And okay, okay. yep. Um, it's Jay also knows that one. <laughs> Well, not just the the Batman, but like the Lovecraftian yeah, the Arkham Assam that Batman stuff was based off of. Um, so that was built on Hathorne Hill, which was owned by John H- uh, Hathorne, who was like one of the witch tri- one of the the judges on the witch trials and stuff. So there's a lot of spooky history to that place, and now it's condos. Um, but <laughs> that's so <laughs> sad. It is like they have the fa- like part of the facade well, still there. Spooky condos. Get it right. They who, are spooky yeah. condos because. One of the terms and conditions of building condos there was they couldn't get rid of the unmarked graves. Nice. Uh, that's creepy. Oh. So there are unmarked graves there, they couldn't disturb them. Um they and... charge
0: extra for those condos. <laughs> <laughs> they is they probably
1: charge maybe they charge less. <laughs> they they're pretty expensive. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um so yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff around here. I really enjoy it. I like the atmosphere, I like the history. Um and I'm not, I don't get too bent out of shape about the torch You know, it's making people money and yeah, yeah. people are having fun with it. And it's, we have a, like an outdoor market every year where, um, people can set up tables and sell things like books. And that's nice. Yeah. There you go. Cause I have like this almost personal
2: fascination cause there was John Proctor who was hung mm-hmm. and then they were going to hang his wife, Elizabeth Proctor, but she was pregnant. So they didn't do it. And then by the time she wasn't pregnant, you know, they let him go or whatnot or, so I want to know if I'm actually related to that John Proctor. I think that'd be really cool. I need, be, yeah. I need to do like the ancestry.com. Yeah, I, thing. Ancest- yeah. I think
0: you get like a free trial for like a month. Because I've so.
2: looked it up yeah. and him and Elizabeth, he had like 14, 17 kids and at least half of them were boys. So there could be a possibility where I could be related to Absolutely. someone hung in the witch trials, which would just be really cool. Just an be- <laughs> anecdote to talk about at a party or something.
1: Um, yeah, ancestry.com is It is a lot of work, though. It's not just like you pl- press is, a button. Yeah. Is that the one? With my, the leaf? Wife, my
2: wife did. I know did there's different like ones. Just... That's the leaf one, right? I think the leaves pop mm-hmm. up telling yeah,
0: you stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it became. My wife did it for like a month, and it just became so much work. And then people started asking her, "Hey, we're well, up this person," and she's like, "No, I'm tired." Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a lot
3: like of work. I don't
2: know anything past like my grandparents, so I don't know where and we come from or anything like that.
3: I
1: realized too that like there's so much. Like I know at least in my family and my wife's family, two instances where people are, um, you know, basically were said to be of someone's child, but they weren't really that person's child, you mm-hmm. know, like that sort yeah. of stuff. And I imagine that's all over the place. Yeah. So
0: who <laughs> yeah, knows you how. Have to be afraid of what you're going to uncover on there. You know? Yeah. And, because is not a very
2: common last name. So it's like, maybe, maybe there's a chance.
1: Lost my soda. Yeah, it, absolutely. Um, it would be very cool. You could just tell people it's true.
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Hey, hey yeah. i'm really make, to make up a story who's gonna know because but one of my booktube friends jay Pruitt, he went to salem i guess last year towards the end of 2020 and he took a picture of john proctor's grave and sent it to me so it was pretty cool
1: nice yeah the the, the graveyards are pretty cool here so yeah
2: and you got to um I don't remember when it was. You shared a picture. You got to visit Lovecraft's grave, right? Or at least as yeah, a memorial site Yeah, that or was something.
1: actually me, me and Joshua Rex. So, um, you know, I've lived in like around Boston my whole life, pretty much aside from a year here or there. And i had never gone there. I and mean, Providence is only like an hour away. Um, mm-hmm. So I was friends with Joshua Rex and he was living in Providence. And he said, why don't I give you the tour? I'll give you the Lovecraft tour. So I said, yeah. And I drove down there and he took me everywhere. And it, it was it was fantastic um because it's such a small area but like i got to see several places he lived and there's this place where he took a picture because he was a big fan of poe where it was like a poe historical site where poe had uh gotten like a big screaming fight with his girlfriend at the time like at this <laughs> house and you know um so there was just there's all this cool horror history there and um yeah. it's, it's a beautiful city anyways and then you know we it all culminated at Lovecraft's grave, which always has like little tokens on there. You know, I think when we went there, somebody left like a little toxic Avenger head and like all this just random stuff. <laughs> like a stuff. Cthulhu beanie baby and yeah, you know. Uh, so, um, but it was it was cool. You know, I I have such respect for his stories and they made such an impact on me that mm-hmm. you know being six feet away from his corpse was kind of surreal. You know. Um, <laughs> and uh yeah it was just it was a pretty you know for lack of a better word spiritual moment for me and um yeah it was it was very cool to go there with josh because he's um we're on the same wavelength about a lot of things and um it was just cool to, to get to go there with him
2: cool that is pretty cool i'd like to visit some i've never been up well i've been to new york city but i've never been to like the boston area and all that stuff i'd like to visit sometime because i'm a big history buff so i like all the you know american history and all that kind of stuff Oh, that's very fascinating. Right?
1: Oh, yeah. It, it's there's so much of it to do here. Um, mm-hmm. talking with the nerdy stuff with my wife, our first yeah. actual date was doing the Freedom Trail. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> so, that'd be cool. Yeah. See,
2: that's the kind of stuff I'd like to do. Yeah. And like the our town, I'm sure every town has the little plaques around like the historic downtown area saying this house was owned by such and such in 1795. Yep. I stop and read all those signs all the time. And
1: like, you can go to Paul Revere's house. Um, yeah. and there's a you know, the site where like christmas addicts was shot and like yeah it, it, um yeah it, it's all very accessible
0: yeah that's cool james says well, but... th- this uh segment of history chat has been brought to you <laughs> by the discovery channel <laughs> james you, you have
1: your uh your brother take you there
2: do you like history jay
1: uh, yeah but because you, know... you have a lot of Uncommon.
2: We have things that we don't like. Like you don't like sci-fi. I like sci-fi. That kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, feel you wouldn't
0: like history because like I history. Mean, dude, I'm I'm old, so you know. <laughs> you have you I, I, I live, I live some of this history that you
2: Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, where can where can everybody find you at, Curtis?
0: Yeah. Um, I'm pretty, down here. Let's get...
1: I'm pretty accessible. I'm on Twitter as at c underscore Lawson. I don't use that as much, but I'm I try to I'm trying to use it more. Um, mm-hmm. people can send me a friend request on Facebook, uh, just Curtis M Lawson. I also have an author page on there, but author pages on Facebook are kind of useless, so I don't use it <laughs> all that much. Um, I'm on Instagram as Curtis M Lawson. I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Curtis M Lawson. So basically, <laughs> anywhere Curtis M Lawson, you can find me. You can find him at and um, yeah, I'm very accessible if people want to hit me up or send me emails a or whatever. A yeah, CurtisMLawson.com, and you can send me messages <laughs> through there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love to hear from people, so you know. And where can like they find your, attention your attention. Uh, podcast at? Um, so I, I, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple, it's on everything. Um, so I just you know just look on wherever you listen to podcasts for weird. You just
0: uh, upload it to Anchor and.
1: Um, I use Spreaker. Okay um so yeah anywhere you listen to podcasts and uh and
2: it, it's weird transmissions w-y-r-d transmissions
1: yes
0: yep. yeah Spelled weird weird so you did yeah <laughs> just to be weird but yeah just to be weird that's the rabbit hole <laughs> don't
2: don't do
1: it jay i'll
0: okay. go down the rabbit <laughs> hole curtis we <laughs> appreciate you so much for uh joining in our shenanigans for the evening oh my pleasure yeah. this was fantastic guys Fun. Yeah. It was fun, man. I appreciate you coming on. It was oh, a blast. Thank you. Yeah. So for our guest, Curtis M. Lawson, make sure you uh, pick up all of his books. Look at my book. <laughs> Keep like our boys choir. Go. It was awesome. And thank for, uh, you to
1: everyone who has been watching and commenting.
0: Yeah. And uh, for my partner in crime over to Brad Proctor, this has been another exciting episode of Paper Cuts. Until we meet again, stay safe. See you guys.